0: Children, here are your questions for this evening. First, who is the only king and head of God's church? Two, God has provided elders to watch over the church. Do you know who the elder for your family is? If not, ask a parent. Three, elders do their best to serve the church as leaders. It is a wonderful blessing, but it can be really hard sometimes. Will you pray for your elder with your family today? 1st Timothy chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. This is the word of God. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-control, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. There ends reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your great love for your church, and we thank you that you've given instructions for how your church is to be structured and managed. We know that that's something that you've given to us in your inspired scriptures. And so as we examine this passage, Lord, together tonight through this message, we pray that ultimately we would hear from you, that we would appreciate your care for your church, and Lord, that we would grow through, uh, through the testimony of your words. So speak to us, we humbly ask, send your Holy Spirit in a special way to help us hear well. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, God, so concerned about the care and the oversight of his people that he's provided leadership for his church he always has provided that from the be- very beginning uh, in the new testament we see that he provides leaders for the local church overseers for the local church officers in local bodies namely two offices elder and deacon elder and deacon tonight we'll look at the office of elder uh, variously called elder bishop presbyter under shepherd they're all three all four of the same office Now, I must say this might not be the most inspiring topic for a sermon, but it's something that we all ought to tune into. First of all, because it's from the Word of God, but secondly, because it's important for the church, it's important for the local church. You should each take interest, a very keen interest, in the way that your church is run and the people who are running it. And so you want to look closely at who is overseeing your souls and who's steering the church that you're a part of and so we need to keep those in mind Uh, at the outset it's important to remember that there really is only ultimately one head over the church and that is Jesus Christ one head over the church all things are under him Paul says in Ephesians he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all so all things are subservient to him And under that, the church is subservient to him. And in that, the leaders of the church are always subservient to Christ. Always subservient to Christ. Our catechism, our larger catechism, says that our king provides this for the church. The question is asked, how does Christ execute the office of a king? Christ executes the office of a king in calling out of the world a people to himself his church, and giving them officers, laws and censures by which he visibly governs them. So we to understand that God is the one who actually provides for his church, the elders. What kind of men is he looking for? Or what kind of men does he call? Uh, turn with me to the gospel of Mark, just briefly. Mark 10, beginning in verse 42 character is always a huge issue with anyone who's going to lead in God's church. Mark 10 beginning in verse 42. There's been some question about uh, leadership, question about who gets to serve where, who gets to be at Jesus' right hand, but here's part of the conclusion that Jesus gives to the men. These are the disciples. Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so right at the outset, Jesus makes it clear that anyone who's going to lead in his church is to be a servant, a servant leader. And that's a good term to use when we consider leadership in the church, servant leader. That's the kind of people that God ordains to be his rightful leaders. Uh, There are ordained elders are ordained to a position of authority but it's a position that is a humble position and i can tell you it's a humbling experience to serve as an elder in his church a couple of things preliminary things first of all that anyone who serves as an elder obviously needs to be a genuine christian have genuine faith in christ a true convert i know that for many churches those things aren't that important. They're just looking for someone with leadership skills. We need people who are genuinely converted to Christ, who are new creations in Christ. And the second thing is that flowing from that comes Christian character. Now, it's interesting that in the early church, especially when we read the, uh, the comparable, uh, comparable passage in Titus, that it seems that in the early church, elders were appointed by leaders in the area. Titus is told to appoint elders in the different towns. We have a different process here. I sometimes fancy what it would be like to appoint my own elders if it was my job in the church, but when I think about that for very long, I realize what a disaster that might be and how that could end up being a bad thing after all in our system. uh, Character is discerned. Gifts are discerned. The congregation recommends someone to the elders that already are serving, and the elders either approve or don't approve that individual. And if they're approved, then they're put up for a vote by the congregation. In our system, it works from the bottom up, which reminds us also that we're not a hierarchical church. That we are ruled by elders, but every elder, whether it's in the local church or in the broader regional presbytery or in our denomination, the General Assembly, every elder has the same authority. It's very ground level. It's very grassroots. That's important for us to understand. Very much in contrast to hierarchical churches where, for instance, you have a pope and then you have bishops and then you have all these different levels going down. We don't have a pope. We are so inglorious, you might say, that our leader, so to speak, who runs things at a high denominational level is called, with the very glorious title, stated clerk. A lot different than pope. But we don't have a pope. We run, we're run by elders. I'm sure that a lot of this is familiar to you, uh, but we need to keep these things in mind. And so... We're seeking good godly men to serve. It's not as if all good and godly men are called to office. There are special gifts that are required, special character issues that need to be very evident in individuals. But it is a high honor to serve as an elder in the church of Jesus Christ. It's a high honor. It's a true blessing. It can also be a tremendous challenge. It can be a very difficult thing to serve sometimes as an elder in the church. It can be a great burden. And so the advertisement is support your local elder. Uh, Pray for him. Pray for the elders of the church that they would be able to do the calling that they're called to, to do well. It's so important, this idea of church government, which can seem so mundane, that we as a church have one of our core convictions as a church, church government. And that is that we are a Presbyterian church. We're ruled by presbyters, we're ruled by elders. And so we're convinced as a church that that's the most biblical way to run a church. So it's important for you, for you members, to be very much aware of what the office of elder, and Lord willing, next week, the office of deacon is all about first of all character character now we need men of godly character we need to remember that elders pastors are not to be put on a pedestal they're sinners just like everyone else but there are to be things in their lives that shine showing that the work of god is clearly evident in their lives but character is a huge issue I want to read to you what Kent Hughes has said. I know I've used this quote before, but I just think it's so helpful. And it's an exhortation directly to leaders, but it's also good for the congregation to think of this kind of thing. He writes, uh, the Christian ministry and leadership, Christian ministry and leadership without a question is a matter of character. One's authentic spirituality and Christian character is everything in church leadership. It is a sober fact that as goes the leadership, so goes the church, with some common sense qualifications. It is an axiom that we are, as leaders in microcosm, what the congregation will become in macrocosm as the years go by. Of course, there are always individual exceptions, but it is generally true that if the leadership is word centered, the church will be word centered. If the leadership is mission-minded, the church will be mission-minded. If the leadership is sincere, the church will be sincere. If the leadership is kind, the church will be kind. It is also true negatively, exponentially. Unloving, narrow, stingy leaders beget an unloving, narrow, stingy church. Leaders have an impact on the church. And so... Paul, in two different places, here in 1 Timothy and in Titus, gives us a list of some of the things that are qualifications. The first bunch are qualifiers that have to do with character, and then at the end, there are capabilities. I wasn't going to read through the list, this checklist, but I'm going to do so rather quickly, but process these things as I highlight the things that he writes to Timothy. He's to be above reproach. Nothing in his life that he could be legitimately accused of. No surprises. No surprises. The husband of one wife, in other words, faithful to one woman that he's married to. For us, this generally is not a practical problem. I can tell you that a friend of mine who was a pastor in Ghana had a terrible time because he would have men who were converted. They needed leadership in the church. But lo and behold, some of the converted men had sometimes two, sometimes three or more wives contemporary issue for the Ghanaian church, not so much for us, but this has to do with faithfulness to one wife, thoroughgoing commitment to that one wife. They're to be sober-minded, not irrational, or given to fanciful, crazy ideas, conspiracy theories, and things that are that are just out there. They're to be respectable. Their demeanor is is to merit admiration. They're to be exemplary. They're to be hospitable. That word is Philoxenos, the love of strangers to be hospitable. Not a drunkard, not a wine bibber, not, not a drunkard, very self explanatory. Not violent. Here it could mean a striker or a brawler. I can't imagine our elders getting into a fist fight, although I can tell you I did know of a church where there was an outbreak after a congregational meeting in the narthex of the church where a fist fight broke out. I don't know if elders were involved, but my guess is. They probably were. But anyway, it can happen. I think the sense here is that we're not violent in our thinking, that our demeanor is gentle and nurturing as leaders. Uh, tragically, I have seen in the history of my ministry elders blow up at members, and, and that can't happen. That has to be in check. Not quarrelsome. In other words, not not constantly causing issues and arguments. Not a lover of money, that might sound strange to us, but here probably referring to a paid position of elder. Not lovers of money, and not lovers of money as a general attitude. Jesus warns against that kind of things. Not a recent convert. Has to be someone whose faith has been tested and tried. Someone who's matured in the faith. Good witness to outsiders. Public reputation that doesn't bring shame the name of Christ. You see all those things are so important in leadership in the church. When a man meets those qualifications, he also has to have some capabilities. He has to be able to teach. May not be a formal type teacher, but he must know the word of God well enough to be able to explain it to others and to nurture them in teaching and to growth in the grace and knowledge of God. And then they have to be managers, so to speak, but in an interesting way, managers of their own families, that their own families are under control, that their lives and their families are not filled with chaos, that their children are not rebellious. In fact, we're told that their children must be believers. That's a challenging one, especially as children get out from under the household, how that looks. But nonetheless the management of the household is going to dictate how or whether he has the gifts to manage the church. And so those are the qualifications. We ask questions to our elders. And I don't want to bore you with more of the sort of technical parts of this, but we we require men to take vows before God and before the congregation. I want to read those vows. So much the same way I just went through these qualifications, I want you to listen closely to the vows. Do you believe in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament as originally given to be the inerrant word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Two, do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith and the catechisms of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the holy scriptures? And do you further promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the fundamentals of this system of doctrine, you will, on your own initiative, make known to your session the change which has taken place in your view since the assumption of this ordination vow. In other words, we don't require our members to agree with everything in our confession. We want you to read our confessions. We want you to read the catechisms, study them. They're valuable we require our elders to agree with our confessions and our catechisms. And so we assume that our elders and deacons have read the confession, have read the catechism, and understand what's being said there. And as it says, if there's any change, then it's up to the individual to come and announce that and deal with it with the session. In the case of a pastor, that would be with the larger body of the presbytery third do you approve of the form of government and discipline of the pca in conformity with the general principles of biblical polity Four, do you accept the office of ruling elder in this church and promise faithfully to perform all the duties thereof and to endeavor by the grace of god to adorn the profession of the gospel in your life and to set a worthy example before the church of which god has made you an officer Five, do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? And six, do you promise to strive for the purity, peace, unity, and edification of the church? Those are the questions we ask our officers in front of God and in front of the congregation. And so those are the qualifications, those are the vows that elders take. The second point I have to make is that there are challenges. There are many challenges to serving as an officer in God's church. There are special temptations that come to people who are in leadership. How many times have we seen leaders fall? How many times have we seen pastors scandalized? How many times have we seen elders and other church leaders uh, get themselves in all kinds of trouble because they're not controlling themselves? And so there's the regular challenges of temptations and heightened challenge for those in leadership. There are personal challenges to maintain personal spirituality and godliness in life. There's the practical challenges of juggling a time commitment. When you're working full time and you're serving as an elder in the church, you have a time commitment. You have to juggle those things. And and you have to manage your time so that you can care for the flock that you're given charge over. I will say that guilt is a biggie. For many elders, I have not met a good elder yet who feels as though they're adequate to the task. As they're doing all the things that they're called to do and all the things even that they want to do. But it takes discipline, juggling the time commitment. Keeping their own hearts in check in the church. Always having the good of the saints in mind. Always having the good of the saints in mind. It's upon elders in some ways to put personal preferences aside. So you know, my own philosophy is that the teaching elder or the preacher, I guess I didn't distinguish that early, the preacher is a teaching elder, the ruling elders are ruling elders, and we all rule. But the teaching elder in particular, as he has a lot of influence on the church, above everyone has to strive to put his personal preferences aside personal tastes when it comes to worship, personal preferences in a lot of different areas, and always have the best interest of the the church in mind, not his self in mind. So that's a real challenge uh, that an elder will face. Another one, submitting to the will of the session on debatable issues that you might disagree with. That's a tough one. One of our vows is, do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? That's a difficult thing because we're people of convictions. We might disagree with other elders on an issue. The elders might vote on something presented to the congregation and that elder has to submit to the will of the brethren. That can be a challenging thing. And of course, we're not talking about errors of doctrine or heresy or anything like that. Negotiable issues, debatable issues. That can be a real challenge. But the goal is a unified body of Christ. There are challenges internally in the church. Elders are under shepherds of the Lord Jesus. And there are good sheep that make serving very, very pleasant. There are also wandering sheep. That can make things very difficult. There are troublesome sheep that can be very difficult. There are sheeps that wander away. And the shepherd has to keep in mind that while it might just be easier to let them go, a true shepherd, as we learn from Jesus, a true shepherd will go after them. There may be a time, and we've dealt with this in other sermons, of letting them go so that they can learn how much they need to be back in relationship with God and with his church. And then there can be wolves in sheep's clothing right within the church. That's one of the challenges that Timothy had to deal with. And so the elders have a great task in caring for the sheep and protecting the sheep and all those different things. And then there's the external issues of the pressures of culture, bucking cultural trends, church trends. Protecting the body of Christ. And so you can see that the elders have a lot of work to do. (coughs) But Paul gives cautions as well. Paul sees this as so serious that he brings the devil into it. Did you notice that? That he brings the devil into it. Should I read it again? (coughs) Excuse me. Here's what Paul says. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he might might not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. There's the danger of devilishness where an individual can get puffed up with pride, puffed up with pride. And especially if they're young and they feel like they have a, an inside knowledge, a super knowledge, more knowledge than others can get puffed up with pride and fall into the condemnation of the devil, the similar condemnation that the devil experienced in his prideful actions against the Lord God Almighty. This is a very serious concern. But there's also the issue of falling into a snare, some getting entangled in a sordid outside affair, scandalized trapped by the devil you notice that the things that are charged to elders are things that everyone needs to be concerned about but notice how paul is careful to point out these are special dangers to leaders in god's church and the devil is at work and he loves to try to undo the work of the church and make no mistake make no mistake He's very interested in undoing the work of the local church. Do you think he doesn't have an interest in covenant? Think again. Take these things very seriously. And so there can be devilishness and there can be destruction. Bad elders can do tremendous damage to churches cause a lot of trouble and sometimes that trouble can be subtle and behind the scenes so that the spirit of the church can become dampened but it can also be overt to the point where the trouble in the church can end up being divisive as well and so we need to be aware of those things also well apparently i can go on and on about elders teaching elders and ruling elders But after all that, I want to say, wow, I hope uh, we have no resignations tonight. I hope that our men don't make a beeline for the door in case anyone gives them that look like, well, maybe you should think about being an elder. Uh, We take these things very seriously. We need to pray. We need to pray that God would grant the grace to uphold the character of our men. And help them with their duty as elders. And that he would raise up qualified men for service in this church. But above all, and I'll end with this, I think that an elder's number one goal is to lead God's people to follow Christ more faithfully. As they follow Christ in all humility. Above all, to lead God's people to follow Christ more faithfully as they follow Christ with more humility. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for our great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one true head of the church. We thank you that in your wisdom you have designed it so that your church would have leaders, elders and deacons to care for the body of Christ. Tonight, we thank you for establishing the office of elder, the under shepherds of Jesus himself, and we pray that you would be with our men, that you would continue to equip them and sustain them and uphold them to do their calling well, to serve you well, to serve your people well. Please keep them from temptations that can sometimes be fierce, sometimes be subtle. We do pray that you would continue to provide for our church officers that would serve you well, that have the character and the qualifications that you require, and that we might be well discerning to know who they are. And Lord, we pray that each one of us would serve you well, that we would honor and glorify you in whatever calling our call is, our calling and our vocations, but also our calling to serve you in the church. May we all do our part in serving under the one head, our Lord Jesus Christ, as we are his body. Help us to serve well according to the gifts that you've given to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The closing hymn is 654, O Jesus, I Have Promised and Will Please Stand. It's 296 in the Trinity Hymnal.